Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Miguel Delaney of The Independent and Andy Dillon of The Sun. For many, the winter break is over. For some, it has barely begun. Five more fixtures over a four-day weekend and we're back in the swing of things. With the title decided and Europe on the horizon, who will catch the eye for the rest of the season? I'm going with Wolves. Well coached, a small but cohesive squad. Do you understand that reasoning, Mix? Yeah, totally. I think they're they're well run, well set up. Obviously have the advantage of their specific player recruitment model, which has seen a lot of very good Portuguese players come into the squad. Of a level they might have thought would be going to clubs like Manchester United, given some of the issues there. But yeah, they're, they're very well set up. And I, and I think they've solved a bit of an issue in that there was obviously that kind of initial trend where... They were good against the better teams, but struggled against lower down. They've evolved as a team, and yeah, they're, they look in really good shape. Mm. And there's a, a harmony about the place, it seems. Yeah. Is that an accident, a happy accident, or is that by design? From what I, I know, it's completely by design and deliberate from the manager that he likes to have a small squad, a relatively small squad, if you like, around about 18 players, of versatile players that can fit many roles. And what he doesn't want is players sitting idly by and getting and spreading poison because that's what bored footballers do, don't they? So he keeps them all ticking over, keeps them all involved, and that keeps a happy ship. And you can see it in particular the game against Manchester City. Yeah. When they just that was a fantastic, you know, afternoon evenings of football. It was just brilliant to watch that, watch them come well, back. That encapsulates that spirit that's just pushing them on, isn't it? Like a tidal wave. Well, yeah. even against Liverpool as well, it looked like I mean they ultimately lost that, but the way they put it up to them. As against City, you look like a side like primed and confident in themselves, mm. just ready to kind of take the take these occasions. energy. So yeah. much energy, you just you, you see it coming out the television screen almost. Don't yeah, you? Mm. is that enough, Megs, for them to gate crash the top four? Maybe only because we've been so conditioned by the past few years. I still think that just by virtue of resource and even the fact they've gone and spent, like I say, United have gone and spent money on Bruno Fernandez, that just by sheer force of power, almost one of the big boys will be top four. So I don't think they'll quite do it. But top six, I suppose, is still on. Mm. What about looking at the Europa League? Could they win that, Andy? Because if you look at it, OK, you've got Ajax, 
Sevilla specialists in the competition, Inter with you know the old boys. The two English clubs, you know, Arsenal have got Olympiacos, I think. Manchester United are there, but they're flawed, obviously flawed. Mm. Could Wolves win the Europa League? Yeah, I think it would be. It's a big stretch of the imagination for them to do it, though. I still think your money from 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 these shores has got to go on Arsenal or Manchester United because they have to win it. Otherwise, you know, particularly yeah. Arsenal. If you look at the, the the position Arsenal are in, you know, they they a season without European football. From my point of view, I think would actually do them good. I think Chelsea did it a few years back, and I don't think it does them any harm. But of course, I don't count the the beans. I don't look at the bank balance, that sort of stuff, or the prestige of the club. But I can't. I can see Wolves going quite some way. It's Espanyol they're playing, isn't it? Yes. I think you're bottom of the Spanish league. So there's you know every reason to expect them going into the last sixteen, last eight. So they've got that energy, they've got that drive, they've got that commitment. I don't think it'll be enough to carry them all the way to a trophy, though. But I think they'll, they'll, they'll emerge from this competition with their heads held high. Well, I wonder as well, is that where the tight squad might just work against them a little bit? Because, I mean, usually because the size of the Europa League, it's usually the, the size of the, of the groups that actually gets clubs through. Arsenal and Chelsea have probably last season been, been the case mm. where by the time it gets to the quarter semi-finals, they've had enough space that they can you take it that bit more seriously, whereas a club like Wolves could be just maybe running on empty by then, mm. and especially if they're in the hunt in the league as well. If you're judging them on kind of the 11 of the team and how they're run, purely that alone, and whether they could play every game at, at top pace, you'd, you'd fancy them in almost any match. Mm. Yeah, but one injury, two injuries, yeah. that's when it will, will kick in. So I, I can't see them going all the way, unfortunately. Mm. What about the wider model? It looks well, Kevin Thelwell, who's their sporting director, is leaving. He's going to New York Red Bulls. Jeff Shea, the Chinese owners, is basically running the club. You've obviously got Jorge Mendes in the background, or we're in the foreground sometimes <laughs> when, when recruitment's in, in, in vogue. Do they get that role of sporting director better than most clubs? In other words, and should they go and get a, someone like a Ralph Ranick to actually run that club? I, suppose the, I think it's the Mendes issue that complicates it so much, because then, given the amount of his clients that are at the club... Including the coach? Including the coach, yeah, that... I mean, I suppose the best-run sporting director model, you'd say, is someone that just aces recruitment and suddenly picks a group of players from anywhere. It's, just, it's based on the, on the quality of the player. Where this is essentially about the quality of Mendes' stable. So I, th I actually think it's quite a difficult question in that regard. Mm. And I, I, don't, I don't think they'd have a, an idealised sporting director structure, as I think, in any way. But there's a lot of talk that, it, that it's quite a big blow, losing Kevin. And I found it quite interesting that he was quite unpopular with the supporters yeah. because he couldn't shake off his connections with the previous regime, mm. but behind the scenes has done a fantastic job. And the fact he's quite low-key was also, I think, a big plus for him. He also was an academy manager, I think, and a, a footballer in his own right as well. So knew football right from the grassroots all the way up and was you know, pretty expert in his recruitment, but also quite happy to just do the job behind the scenes, you know, covering all the football data analysis, worked like a dog, apparently. And people at Molyneux are quite, not worried, but they're quite concerned, how do you replace that? Yeah. How do you replace what, that? What are these figures? It's kind of like the unseen glue read. It just makes everything work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you look at Wolves, they are defined by their resilience. Now, they've basically come from behind more than any other club. Uh, Sheffield United are almost in that same mould. 
Yeah, 15 games they've been behind and they've still got points out of 60% of those games. I'm still actually amazed at how high. I, I have yeah. to say, I, Two points off Chelsea, I know. it's amazing. I mean, I might, this is maybe kind of being a bit churlish about it, but I, I, I can't, I'm still I'm shocked they haven't started to kind of like level out yet. Why haven't they? I suppose it's, it's maybe it's, there's, there's a momentum element. Obviously, they have a very tight-knit squad that's been together for so long, which means everything they do is almost second nature to them. You know, there's just that kind of full connection between the players and the coaching staff get everything they're trying to do. And I think maybe that has force all of its own. But you would have expected by now that to just level out, no, no, ma no matter how well they're on and kind of quality to assert itself a little bit. But uh, it's, still, it's still going. Mm. Chris Wilder's a great story, isn't he? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Especially, they've not spent a great deal either, have mm. they? That's a, the great thing. Stuck. A manager who's actually had the, the guts to stick with the players that came up with them. I have to say, from a personal point of view, there should be four points behind Chelsea because <laughs> they nicked two off West Ham, didn't they, <laughs> that night? So let's not, let's not get too carried away. But I was really, really surprised. I saw them play at Chelsea early in the season. Yeah. And like everybody, I turned up there expecting Sheffield United to have that image, expecting the ball to be straight yeah. in my neck for 90 minutes, but nothing like that at all. And then when you hear him speak as well, he's got that old-fashioned way about him where yeah. you, you imagine he would play that kind of Route 1 football, but not at all. And he's, he's great to listen to, really, really good to listen to. And his players know, know where they stand with him, don't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I suppose, isn't that the way it works as well? I mean, it's kind of almost wilder on the emotional management of the team and then nil on the more specific kind of ta tactical functioning, mm. which has obviously served them very if well. You, if you look at their, their, you know, their, their training schedules and strategies, it's it's almost Italian in terms of yeah. you know the repetition and you know, they will they will drill and drill yeah. and drill to either get it right and become second nature. It's it's almost a little bit like that thing with Allardyce where he would he would always give the impression of being, you know, you know, reductive old fashioned against modern ways and yet some of what he did was some of the most sophisticated stuff in football. Mm. Uh, and I, I there's a little bit of that with that with Sheffield United, which is why even like they made great play of that clip that came out of you of you know training in the park with a dog kind of chasing the ball around. Mm. Yeah, oh, I mean, and that fostered a certain image. Yet the reality of the club is actually completely against that. Mm. And it... you know, the, the trouble with drilling and drilling and drilling, though, of course, is that you end up with players. You know, eventually we'll say that's that's boring. Yeah, I think we saw it the other day with one of the uh, with Jorginho, wasn't it? Was it Jorginho came out and said that training under yeah. Sarri was yeah. boring mm. because you know you talk about it's an Italian style yeah. of training drilling and drilling and drilling and repetition, you've got to keep them amused. And obviously the clip with the dog and everything is, you know, maybe yeah. that's what's carrying them in a, a bit of, bit of colour. Yeah. You've just got to be, I think you've got to carefully manage that because mm. if you are just doing the same thing day in, day out, pretty soon, I mean, they carry, at the moment, the success is keeping them interested. Yeah, yeah. But if they were to fall away a bit and they're still doing the same, it wouldn't take long yeah. for players to start saying, yeah. this bloke hasn't got a clue, all we do is the same thing every day. That's the classic, classic thing, isn't it? It's where results dictate so much. Yeah. I remember mean, hearing similar about uh, Ralph Hasenhutl recently, where basically you know, in October the players are like, this guy's a joke, this, isn't, this, isn't, this is working mm. terribly. And now, three months on, I don't think he's a genius again. <laughs> yeah. and, it's, and I suppose it's similar with Chelsea, as well, where with Conte, the players were willing to, obviously, that first season, they were totally willing to buy into this even if they, did, they had reservations about how Conte treated them, because it was actually working and mm. winning a title. Whereas as soon as there's a few issues, then all, all of this comes The out. only one I feel sorry for is Sarri, because it was working, and they still thought he was yeah, boring. Yeah. He finished <laughs> third and won the Europa League, but they all still, you know, he couldn't yeah. win that bloke. Mm. Yeah. When you look at the resumption, you know, the first game, I think, will tell us an awful lot. Wolves against Leicester on Friday night. Incidentally, you know, that's Valentine's night. <laughs> Which brave boy's going <laughs> to go to the football <laughs> instead of taking his missus out? Um, when you look at Leicester, 
are they capable of hanging on into that top three? Are they pretty much settled, do you think? That last that win last week was, I think, key, because it did just look like they were beginning to lose a little bit their way a bit, and they'd lost some big high-profile fixtures. And it's become maybe a little bit of a question under Rogers' teams, both in Europe and domestically, and, and in cup competitions, that going back to that really big one against Chelsea, obviously, at the end of the 2014 season, that they've... Oh, they have folded a little bit on these kind of big occasions and, and not quite gone over the line. And there was a slight sense growing that they were beginning to lose their way, that the kind of the cohesion from earlier in the season had kind of gone a little bit. But so I think to get that last win just keeps them back up. And I think the, the gap is probably sufficient now that they, they should stay up there. What's your impression of Rogers, uh, Brendan Rogers, Andy? I love, I love his press conferences. <laughs> really enjoy his press conferences. He's got a knack of making journalists feel like that he knows yeah, you, yeah. doesn't he? Mm. And... Uh, we're so easy. <laughs> we, we, are, we are, you know, it only takes, you know, I'm not there with a name check, but he names check, he name checks a few. Yeah. But I also, I get the impression, and this is from a selfish point of view, he still likes the newspapers. Yeah. And newspaper men really, really enjoy that, that feeling that you've actually got a relationship with this guy and you can talk to him. Because, you know, we conduct our press conferences very differently to TV and radio. So I, I really like that. And he seems to be... You know, he's always talking about the group, yeah. isn't he? The group, it's never about him, that sort of thing. And he's very good at getting getting the best out of certain players. I mean, look what he's done with Vardy. You know, he's he's made him a, a real player again, hasn't he, this season? I, I, I like the guy, and I think, having gone from Liverpool, disappeared from the Premier League for a while, now come back, there's a real, you know, a streak within him that wants to prove, actually, yeah. I can do this, I can do this. And, and even the press thing is interesting because, I mean... I think while everyone's always respected him as a coach, there was a thing, particularly in that last season at Liverpool and after the documentary, where people thought it was the way he spoke was a bit come almost... It could be clowning. The whole kind of Brendan Rodgers thing, the David Brent comparisons. Mm. But anyone who talks now who knows, who's worked with him and knows him well says he's actually... He's really matured in, in that extent mm. in the last few years, mm. particularly at the time up in Scotland and now coming and now at Leicester. And he cuts a different figure to what he did. In that. Mm. And, 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 and let's not forget the age of him for a job that size... Which was, I mean, when you break it down in real terms, it was a success this time at Liverpool, given mm. how high he hadn't gone, actually. Well, there was also a feeling that Leicester would fall away. When yeah. he took that job, there was a feeling that they'd had their moment in the sun. Mm. That was it. And you think, where's he going to go with this? Yeah, and, yeah. And look what he's done. I mean, he's stuck. I mean, it's, he's, it's, he's propelled Leicester again, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's kind of reinvigorated them, hasn't he? Well, also, if you look at that club, structurally, they've got it right. Yeah. You know, the ownership, you know, through tragic circumstances, are wedded emotionally to the, to the football club. They've got £100 million training ground on the horizon. There is real, no real need for a player of real ambition to move from no, that. Yeah, yeah. If he's got long-term vision, if he's thinking, if I stick with this lot, I could get somewhere. But this is, they're at that tipping point, aren't yeah. they? Uh, you know, which player will sit there and think, you know what, I'm going to put my faith in Leicester because they'll all be waiting for the first one to go yeah. because there's two or three of them, you know, and Diddy, Madison, mm. Harvey Elliott, whatever. They'll be thinking, right, hold fast, lads, hold fast. That's yeah. what they'll be waiting for because once one goes, that's it, isn't it? And, and the, the classic problem with that as well is if you can replace maybe the first one or two successfully, but if you keep having to do that, I said Hampton found about five or six years ago, mm. if you keep having to replace good mm. players going, you'll just end up just by sheer law of numbers. It won't, you, you won't be sustained. But that, and that also level. feeds into the, the whole ethos, ethos of a club, that 
you know, players that are any good were thinking, well, I'll, I'll do well here, I'll stay here for two, three yeah. years, and then I might get a move. They'll be yeah. seen as a kind of a transition point rather than, you know what, yeah. we're really trying to build something here. Be interesting to look at the dynamic between uh, Madison, Ben Chilwell, and actually Jack Grealish. And yeah, they're, yeah. They're friends socially and they do go out a lot together. Yeah. And Madison even referencing the, the way the two are always compared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if one of those goes, you know, Chilwell's been linked with, with Chelsea, Madison, Manchester United. Yeah. Grealish has just talked about maybe, well, I might have to leave Villa. There's a bit of new talk now as well that United are actually switching to Grealish over Madison. And I know they did have a kind of a go in January, but were buffed by Villa because obviously it's worth so much more to Villa to stay up. But I wonder they're kind of they're moving towards Grealish over Madison a bit, which feeds into what the two lads are complaining about a lot. But yeah, there is a good dynamic. In relation to actually just stand back a bit from Leicester's structure, I think it's what's almost been unsaid in this is that they obviously had one of the great, greatest moments any club can have, and one of the great moments in football history. And yet what they were then, which is only four years ago, or less than four years ago, is com a completely different profile of club to what they are now. And, when, and they're now a much better run club. So it's to so quickly use that to become something better and more productive is actually is really impressive. And it's summed up, I mean, if you look at the profile of that, that team in 2016, which is quite an old squad... And maybe there's kind of a, a sense of this is, you know, a perfect moment in time where all runs together for these players and that manager. Whereas now they've got this young group that you're talking about with Grealish tacked on from Villa. It bodes better for the future. Mm. What I like about Leicester particularly as well is they show you don't have to have a massive stadium. Mm. You can do it on a relatively smaller scale. You can, you know, if, you, if you've got the investment, admittedly, then you can still you can still get by. It's not all about the size of the stadium. It's not all about having, you know, going out and buying 80, 90 million pound players. It's about buying them wisely and buying the right players. Mm. Be interesting to see the reaction to Grealish when Villa resume at home to Spurs on Sunday. Mm. You know, because it's the local guy idolised by the fans basically hinting he's, he's probably going to leave. Yeah. Let's look at Villa we talk about relegation in the, in the big picture terms a bit later on, but do they convince you as a Premier League team? I think bar Grealish, they're probably just a bit short. I wouldn't necessarily hold that against them because I think they're still a well-run team. There's maybe a bit of an element that they... Uh, I know there was other concerns, but they got up maybe a little bit ahead of time for, for where they were as a side, especially given they were so dependent on loan signings. So that caused huge kind of upheaval in terms of the very you know, makeup of the squad in the summer. So from that perspective, I think to be competitive is actually it's respectable at least, even if they do have the massive asset, massive asset of, uh, of Grealish. Mm. But the, the, all these, they came up playoffs, didn't they? Yeah, so yeah. that immediately puts them a few weeks behind. Yeah. Because, you know, I remember talking to Harry Redknapp about it before, you know, when, when he was managing. If you come up to the playoffs, you don't know what your budget is yeah, until yeah. that day. And you're weeks behind. And it's almost like even a club like Villa, because you go to Villa Park and it's my favourite stadium by far of any, I think even many of those abroad. So it, it oozes Premier League yeah. about it, but they still have to kind of get up on those kind of Bambi-like legs when they make it up into the yeah. Premier League and, and, and stabilise themselves. And maybe they get rid of Grealish, they sell him, but they, if they spend it wisely and if they bring two players in that will improve them all round, then that's helping to stabilise those legs. And you might have to say goodbye to him and, and, and do, it, do it that way. It might be you know, a tough pill to swallow, but that might be what you have to do. If they stay, if they stay up, do you think he stays, actually? So many people that, that, you know, that know him, and 
They would like. He loves the club so much, and would genuinely. He just loves his life. Yeah. <laughs> depends who's blowing in his ear. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was yeah. the point I was going to make, Andy. Yeah. Because you know we've all been around the block a few times. When players say things like that publicly, you just think, hang on, someone's been whispering yeah. in his ear. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I accept that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's the darker side, isn't it, yeah, where you kind yeah. of, they have to tread that, that, that line very carefully. Yeah, yeah. The playing Spurs, as I said, assess Jose Mourinho for me. There's been a bit of a... <laughs> a bit of progress recently, particularly after the City game, and yeah, I've done a fair few Spurs games this season, and like, since he took over, and given the way he spoke when he came back and his whole press conference about... He has a lot of time out to think, to analyse his approach. I think Spurs have often been dreadful to watch and there's not much sign of something different there. Again, it, it suits them to play sides like Liverpool or, or City because they can kind of fix into an approach that comes more naturally to Mourinho. But I've been a bit disappointed with how they've gone. And yet, in saying all that, on balance, I think I actually, I'd actually have them over Chelsea to, uh, to finish top four at the moment. Yeah. <coughs> Because of the experience in the squad, yeah. Chelsea are in a different way. You know, talking about the, the Bambi-like legs, with so many young players are trying to do it's whether they can. They've got it in their legs to to maintain it. But maybe the football batches Mourinho's haircut at the moment. Didn't he had that? <laughs> he had that number oh, yeah. one. I, I remember once he, he did that. He came into a press conference when he was at Chelsea and he had a shaved head. The, the war. And I said to him, I said, "That's a war haircut, isn't it?" And he said. <laughs> Yeah, he said, actually, what really happened was I was walking past Fernando Torres, who was shaving his hair, and I borrowed the clippers. <laughs> he said, and I shaved my head. He said, but I'm not that tough because I had to send a picture to my wife first <laughs> to make sure I could go home. Before. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like the guy. I don't always like his, um, the way he plays football sometimes. And everybody's waiting for it to start to combust. That's a, yeah. That's a, um, we all thought it was the, the, the Danny Rose thing. There was clearly something there, wasn't there? Danny Rose off to Newcastle within within weeks. And losing Ericsson as well as a big creative force that they've, they've got. With. If, if they're trying to build something, yeah. and you have to do this, and then fine. But, you know, we'll, we'll see where he goes with that. Lascelles has been good, actually. I think he's been the, most, the most, brightest element of Mourinho's time so far, actually. And he's offered a bit, a bit of spark. and Maybe mm. he's been better to watch than the last Spurs. Because with the Deli Alley thing as well, yeah. when he first arrived, we thought... He was singling him out, yeah. showering him with everything about. Oh, yeah. I asked him where's his brother and all that sort. And then, and you're thinking this is going to become another kind of Pogba. It's going to go really, really well. And then in about a year's time, it's going to go really, really badly yeah. because he is that. Like, he's just too abrasive. Yeah. Mourinho. Are trophies the only justification for, for employing Jose Mourinho? Now they've got Norwich in the last 16 of the FA Cup. That's the sort of trophy that you could see him winning. Yeah. And, and ultimately, I suppose if he does get a trophy. Given Spurs' recent history, it justifies the appointment. That's what, I mean, personally, I'm not sure we justify it in terms of what you want to be as a club, where you want to build. But if that, I mean, that's what football is about as well. And it's 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 what that support base has been craving. I suppose the 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 other thing about potentially appointing him is this theory that although Spurs deny it, that the club is having a figure, a box office figure like him, makes them more. Uh, Appealing, yes, yeah. <laughs> for anyone to buy. But as does winning a trophy. Yeah. Because you can say, you know, if it's FA Cup winners, it, it gives you that little prestige for commercial activity and that sort of thing. And maybe you get Mourinho in who's a serial winner and he wins one, two trophies, then you give him the elbow, mm. but they've got that winning mentality in the club. So whoever takes over picks up from where he goes on. Mm. You know, I mentioned you know, Norwich, seeing him in the Cup. You know, they resume the league against Liverpool, which is 
you know, one would look at as a, not as a foregone conclusion, but you know, yeah. pretty, pretty likely Liverpool win. Let's look at Norwich. They actually play good football. Are they all, almost... Is idealism their worst enemy? See, I don't know. I mean, it, it, this comes down to the argument, I suppose, whether if they played a different way, would it actually be worse for the players they've got? Like, is, is it a way he's playing actually get, getting the players to perform above themselves? And I think it actually is. Again, if you look at the profile of the squad and, and the size of the club, I think they're overperforming to even be in the Premier League. So I don't think... And like, OK, you, you, you look at the table and you just see a club rooted to the bottom yeah, drift and think that this is, a, this is a bad situation. But in a, I think in a broader perspective, they've, they're still overperforming to be there. And I don't think it's any sort of mark against the club. Yeah. <laughs> Emi Buendia is statistically the, the best all-round midfield player on form in the Premier League at the moment. Now... I, I can remember seeing him. My, my son was a scout at Norwich and had been tracking him for some time and asked me to go and watch him when I was in Barcelona. He, he played for uh, Cultural Leonesa against Barcelona B. And at that level, he looked... He, he stood out. And, but what he's done in the Premier League has been almost a, a surprise. Here's a player, no matter what happens to Norwich, he won't be at Norwich next season. He'll go on for 30, 40, maybe even £50 million. Pounds. I mentioned that. Would he fit in well at Liverpool? I think he would. Yeah, I think. Yeah, he certainly has the quality to fit in with that uh, at, at that sort of level. He's shone in a very, very bad team. I saw him play against. I think he played against Chelsea. As I was on the Chelsea beat earlier in the season, and he really stood out. I think Chelsea thumped them in the end four yeah. four one something like that, and he stood out there. So there's a lot of good players in that Norwich team. And I know there's one particular Norwich fan I'm thinking of, I know very well, who keeps telling me, he said, we're gone. He said, but, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's Cantwell, there's Aarons, mm. uh, even Timu Puki, I think he's the wrong side of 30. But there's quite a few of them that could go on and go to a higher level. Liverpool is it's the ultimate at the moment. Whether, that, whether he's good enough for that, I don't know. But um, there's certainly going to be uh, uh, whatever... Whether they stay up, whether they go down, there's going to be a lot of departures from Norwich because they've got good players. Yeah. And it depends what you want out of your, when you go to pay your ticket money for a football game. Do you want to see a team that wins and maybe is not always entertaining or do you want the entertainment? Mm -hmm. mm. With Liverpool, do you expect to see more rotation as the season you know, intensifies? Once they get into the Champions League latter stages now, you'd think so. Although the whole kind of title season does feel like it has momentum all of its own, especially given everything else that could become wrapped into it, like Centurion seasons, Invincible seasons. Mm. But, I mean, what, what they're doing is, I think we've said this in this pod before, it's still so brain-scrambling in a sense that, I mean, you, you, usually with, uh, when clubs run runs like this, all the talk, I mean, like, remember Barca and, like, 08-09 and all that, how do you actually stop them, how do you beat them? With Liverpool, it's just how you actually kind of find any sort of disruption at all. I mean, because the percentage of games they've won is just... It, it's mad, isn't it's it? It's ridiculous, yeah. It, it is a bit hard to get your head around just how, how high this is, mm. like how, how many records it could break. Mm. Would you expect him to play the kids in the cup against Chelsea? No. I would hope not. I would hope not. It, he made his point. Yeah. He I think he made his point, but I think he owes it to the competition. And I think the players would want to play in that. As well, the senior players would want to go back in for that. You know, he may not play the ultimate, ultimate mm. first team, but I would certainly hope and expect to see a lot more established names, like someone like a, a Milner yeah. going back in for that one. Because 
you know, Milner, you have to strap Milner down, I would imagine, and a Henderson, they'd want to play in that sort yeah. of game. And then you sprinkle a few kids in there to learn from them. All right, it's an expendable trophy for them, but you know, you, you couldn't put sort of Curtis Jones and Harvey Barnes against, you know, in, in Harvey Elliott. Yeah. Harvey Elliott, sorry, yeah, I'm getting my Harveys mixed up, aren't I? Yeah, a Harvey Elliott against Chelsea, I'd, I'd, I'd be disappointed if I saw that. Mm. But if you look at, you know, you mentioned Milner there, is he going to be the next off the production line of coaches there, you know, a la Stephen Gerrard? You look at him as an, uh, you know, as a fantastic pro. Yeah. Has he got it within him to be a great coach? Well, that's what, that's what everyone's saying. Even the fact he showed that kind of almost paternalistic influence in going to the game the other day mm. in the FA Cup. I suppose there's a classic thing here, and I was actually thinking this in relation to, to Xavi the other day. Talking to someone who's actually worked at Barcelona, and this time, I mean, because of the way Xavi speaks and has conducted himself, there's this kind of expectation that, oh, he's, he's obviously just going to succeed. Like, he's just a, he's a pep clone, he'll easily sit into that. And I talked to someone who worked at Barca, they thought that he, and this happened actually with a lot of maybe Fergie proteges as well, that they can pay lip service to the way their kind of managerial great works, but they don't innately understand it on a, on a deeper level to actually be great managers in their own right. And I suppose that's a big question with anyone like Milner, which isn't to say like he, he's like Xavi in that regard, but this is, it, it's, it's not just kind of replicating all the trappings of being a manager, it's understanding why you do these things and how it actually works. Mm. Someone who's made that transition, Frank Lampard at, at Chelsea, you know, who you obviously deal with a lot, mm -hmm. Andy. Again, give me your assessment of how he's, he's bedded in at Chelsea. It, it's off, uh, compared to what I was expecting, I think he's off the scale when we deal with him because he's forthright. Mm. He's a lot harder than I imagined he would be and a lot more mature than I thought he would be. He's really keen to put a distance between himself and the team, even though he played with some of them. Yeah. But it's, yeah. I heard that the players actually found that as well, haven't they? Yeah. He's been different to what they expected. Yeah. Found, yeah. yeah. And, you know, when. And he's honest, brutally honest as well. And a few weeks ago, after the we had him on the Friday of the, the transfer window shutting on deadline day, and he was pretty upfront and said, we're not going to sign anybody. And then he just went off on one, mm. which I've never seen before from him about, you know, he was couching it a little bit, but real discontent at not signing anybody. And a lot of us who've kind of been there a few years all looked around and said, that was like listening to Antonio Conte. And we know where that went. You know, they only take it for so long. But it just shows that this kind of he's gone back and when, when he when he took over, we all thought he was Mr. Chelsea, he was this, he was that, and it was all gonna be and he said, No, if I don't perform, it's gonna be five minutes before my reputation goes out the window. It's not quite five minutes, but it's only taken six months for the first crack yeah. to appear. But fair play to him because he hasn't just kind of fitted in with the the notion that maybe they, they gave him the job because he's Mr Chelsea and he would fit in with what they wanted. He's actually gone there and said, right, I'm coming here, I'm a manager, I know I've only been at Derby, but I'm coming here and I want to play, the one, and I want you to go and get signings I want. However realistic the targets were, we don't really know because he may have given them totally unrealistic players that he wanted to sign and they just couldn't do it. But for him to speak out like that, that's, that's significant, yeah. that. Yeah, but hey, presto, you get... I'm assuming briefing, but certainly you get stories turning up. Oh yeah, he's got 150 million pounds to spend in the summer. Well, that's the thing. I mean, and even but even that, I mean, to give Lampard his due, it suddenly seems so. I mean, how much Chelsea spend on legal fees to get that transfer ban reduced, only to then not sign anyone in January, mm. and it could potentially cost them in the Champions League race. Yeah, uh, and like the expectation was they would spend like close to that sort of figure in January. I don't. I don't think I ever expected them to. Spend 
spend that much in January, okay, right. but I expected them to get... You know, I didn't expect to see Jaden Sancho Friday, turning up or anybody like that. It very rarely happens in January. They but they've, you would have thought they would have backed him and said, well, here's our new bloke, let's back him, let's go and get Edinson yeah. Cavani, who's asked to leave PSG, and we know he wants to go to Spain, but let's make it irresistible for him. Let's make him come here, let's go and get Dries Mertens. I know he wanted to be Napoli's yeah. goal, record goal scorer before he leaves, but let's make it irresistible. And the, the, the question I never got to ask him was how surprised was he because as a player, when he was in the dressing room, Chelsea would just go and pick yeah, who they wanted. Yeah, and yeah. it's not like that anymore. Mm. I was, I'm wondering yeah. how he computes that, because now he's involved in all that, that yeah. Chelsea can't have their own way all the time. Well, look, They're a different club. In between, there probably was this shift. I think they've moved on from a, in a maybe a welcome way, where they went through that period of almost signing... It almost felt like they're just signing players to fill the squad sometimes. People like Zappa Costa, yeah. that you wouldn't necessarily think are up to the level, whereas mm. now it's, they're at least seeing as a bit more quality control again. If I may, just one final point. that he's, He said something a couple of weeks back that, I, that really chimed with me because I remember they lost at home to Liverpool but got cheered off. And he, and he brought it up, how it resonated with him because he said the fans know what we're doing because it used to be a criminal offence for Chelsea to lose yeah. any game. But now the punters know what he's trying to do, and they're willing to show a bit of patience. Mm. I find that so refreshing in an age where managers get four games to, to you know to define their careers or or whatever, where the pressure's on. I think it's I think it's great to see them like an old school football club again. Yeah, because football institutionalises impatience, doesn't it? Mm. But actually, patience has is a virtue. If you look at you, know, you mentioned earlier on Ralph Hasenhutl at Southampton. It would have been so easy to yeah. throw him out with, mm. you know, with the with the with the, wash, the dirty washing after the nine nil. He stayed, and they're going. You know, they're, they're they're obviously going to stay up now. Yeah, and he can build again. Yeah, yeah, and they're just comfortable. Exactly. Now I suppose there is the irony of that might be that they didn't sack him because of a little bit of dysfunction at the top of the club about, you know, in terms of the leadership at the uh, at the boardroom level. Uh, so he maybe possibly got away with that. But it's worked out well, and it ends up, even if it was unintentional, a very good decision. But he has to hang on to Danny Ings. This, yeah. is, the, this is what Southampton have to do, is just stop the selling. They have to stop yeah. big teams taking their best players. I mean, I know he's not, he's not a youngster, like, you know, that they, 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 they've been plucked away in recent years, but they have to say, no, you know what, we are actually going to do something here and try to, to build on this. Mm. Interesting, listening to Carlo Ancelotti, he's saying you get a very short honeymoon period when you start a new job you've got to make it count yeah ain't that the truth well although he's actually a bit of the flip side because I mean that his reign started with well I remember all the stuff at the time the worst it could possibly get for Everton that hammering to Liverpool's kids in the she just after they appointed a new manager so there was a little bit of a crest away a little bit of optimism then they then they suffer that mm. and now but to be fair like he's kind of bounced back from that already kind of put it seems to have put a little bit of um substance into the team again, you know, as indicated by some of the recent comebacks. The, the Richarlison story is fascinating as well, wasn't it? How you know, the, the, the bid from Barcelona, he said, no, no, not having him, just not having him. And I was reading only this morning uh, the match report from the weekend and how Ancelotti is talking about how he has set Richarlison free, but on the pitch. He's told him, don't bother coming back to defend. Go and do your best. A bit like Chelsea did with Eden Hazard under Sarri. Don't worry about defending. You know, go and, go and play as a centre forward. Do what you like, basically. Because not long ago, if I'd read an intro about setting Richarlison free, it would have been let him go to Barcelona. Yeah. <laughs> but now it's give him what he wants. That keeps him happy. Other players at the club see that Richarlison's happy. They can feed off him. And, you know, 
they get a feel-good factor beginning to build. And he's only 22. Yeah. Um, and you look at him as an all-round player. He's played all across that front line. He's got a good relationship with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who's probably the principal beneficiary of Ancelotti. Mm. Six and eight under Ancelotti, 13 Premier League goals in all, 13 mm. goals in all. You can see something build there. And we're in a season of such massive swings. Yeah. You know, two months well, ago, they were in the bottom yeah, three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Well, Everton used to be hard to beat. Now they're hard to defend against, yeah, aren't they? Yeah. That's uh, kind of the, the difference in, in the way the club is shaping yeah. up. Well, I have to say, I mean, when Anshadi got that job, I, lo I do like him. I did wonder whether it was the right fit, just because there was really no record in his career ever kind of taking a club that needs a bit of a drive and identity and kind of building them from underneath. But then maybe, maybe given the way that squad was put together and like the quality of some of the players that are actually there, maybe he was the right choice in that regard, just kind of facilitate this group. I just, my, my long-term concern for Everton is moving ground. Mm. And they keep talking about moving to the docks and because Goodison Park is such an asset. I know yeah. it's old, it's creaky, and it's, but it's such an asset to them still. And they need to be really careful because when I look at Ancelotti going to a club like Everton, you think, well, this is part of a big project because he's a big stadium man, isn't yeah. he? A big, big stadium man. Does he, does he fit Goodison Park? But you, they've got to be so careful what they wish for and what they get because they need to build something that will continue, will, will have a legacy from Goodison Park. Because yeah. yeah. you're talking about a two or three year project minimum, aren't you? With yeah. Everton, but also with Arsenal. Arteta seems to have raised the mood. Results probably haven't followed suit. How do you expect him to go? You know, they've got Newcastle on, on resumption. Yeah, it's been, I have to say, I've done them a few times since he's taken over. And in every game, there's been kind of bursts of quality. And I they're kind of 20, 30 minutes, and you think, I did, there's something here. And then it's kind of offset by just same old Arsenal, really. Uh, so I have been surprised. I mean, the, the results turn still isn't great. But I think there's still enough there to be confident about the future. I, I, I still think the appointment is a good one. And that no one should maybe get too... I, I, I'm going to say something now, and if you ever repeat it, I'll deny it. Because <laughs> my, my West Ham supporting mates will kill me. But they need to buy Declan Rice. Because <laughs> if he's yeah, going yeah, in the yeah. summer, yeah. because too often I like I like watching Arsenal, but too often you just see people just kind of yeah. strolling through. And there, there's a player who's who's elegant but tough. He doesn't yeah. have to rely on the hard man instincts to be a great defender or defending midfielder. I just think he would look great in an Arsenal shirt, and he would it would suit that club to buy that. It wouldn't be too painful for yeah. West Ham fans to see him go if he goes there rather than to Chelsea, where I think he would prefer to go. I, t I just think they need to go and make statements this summer. It also maybe it could suit him in terms of his development as well because he'd be kind of a senior figure in the squad that would kind of take respect, take responsibility there. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm starting to blob now. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, let's let's burn any remaining bridges with your West Ham mates. They're banging trouble, aren't they? Absolutely, they are. Yeah. But for those of us who you're a bit more seasoned than the others, <laughs> we've been there before. We'll be yeah. there again. It's just, it's the, it's the roller coaster. It, I mean, I could talk for hours about it. It's. I'll give you two minutes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it just, you know, I couldn't believe the, the the trumpeted of a 214 million pound net spend when you're in the bottom three. If that was me. I'd keep really quiet about that. Because it's like saying I've just I've just paid hundred grand for a Rolls Royce with no wheels and no engine. <laughs> Look at that! Look at this it. in my front garden on bricks. Because you you've been mugged off. Yeah. The stadium the stadium is a disaster. I know people will say stadiums don't win football matches, but they can they can contribute yeah. to defeats. The stadium is an utter disaster, and I've felt it from day one. And I was always sceptical and always concerned when they were going to leave Upton Park that 
Upton Park wasn't a place that won them titles. We all know that. But this place contributes to the gloomy mood because as soon as there's a downturn, it just echoes and everything rolls around that place. There's nothing around it that yeah. embeds it, it into like the community. Ham, it? No. And what's really painful is when the Chelsea fans started it, they came over and they start singing, you're not West Ham anymore. And it really hurts because it's right. Yeah. And they haven't bought well. I'm really hopeful now that with a manager like David Moyes, who only a week ago was talking about, I want to start bringing in young, hungry, ambitious players. And I love the sound of that. I love the sound of that. So if he wants to do that, West Ham need to give him more than an 18-month contract mm. with the option of another year. Mm. That's what gets me. It's so short-term. There's no concept of, right, here we go, here's a project. Give this bloke a job. We realised last time he mm. should have stayed on. We've made a mistake. Let's give him. Let's give him a chance. There's, there's still, still not there with 18 month contract. Mm. And you know, they, they, it looks like they've bought well intriguingly over the last week or so. Yeah. Jared Bowen, 54 goals, I think. In Especially given season. he was wanted elsewhere as well. Yeah. Well, Palace were interested, yeah. weren't they? If you look at him, could he be one of these Championship plus players, a bit like Dwight Gale, who are exceptional at yeah. that level? but don't quite cut it at Premier League level. The opposite of the Goldilocks zone, I mean, they're too good for one in the air. Mm. Possibly, although maybe that could be what West Ham need if things go mm. <laughs> as he does, they do. Yeah, a good championship play. <laughs> maybe that's what they're, maybe, for maybe, next season. Yeah, maybe they're, show, they're showing a bit of long-term vision at last. <laughs> uh, yeah. With, with um, you know, I mentioned Palace. Again, you, you, Roy Hodgson's a pretty good weather vane, isn't he? And he's not been Mr Happy Chappy for no. quite a while. no. They look to me to be one of those teams who could sleepwalk into real trouble. Yeah, yeah, they are. I mean, you saw the performance on Saturday at Everton and I was astonished to see Gary Cahill getting turned the way he was for that goal. And that's a worrying sign because he's one of their better performers and an absolute, you know, a first-class footballer. And you're thinking, hang on a minute, he was turned inside out there. There's, they need some major rebuilding going on there, some, some, some restructuring. Yeah. Benteke's first goal... I mean, I, I watched his celebration and he's kind of striding gladiatorially across the pitch as if this is what I do. It's like, well, you haven't done it for 10 months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's been a long time. I'm sure he's probably forgotten himself what his goal celebration yeah. is. Yeah, there are. <laughs> but see, I like Palace because I'm old school and I, I like going to the ground because yeah. it's a bit rough and ready. But these people in these football clubs, they think we need to go to this thing, this mythical air yeah. land called the next level, and you can't do it at a ground like that. I'm not a big fan of Leicester's ground. It's it's like Lego, and so is Southampton. Yeah, yeah. You could be in either. Yeah. You need to preserve your identity. But then look at Wenger the other week when he said, we sold our soul when we lost when we left Highbury. Yeah, yeah. We sold our soul when we left I, Highbury. I often think when you're in that situation in new stadiums, and it, it's even it's quite uh, an innate thing, where you, when you're simply looking around the stadium, if you're in somewhere like Highbury... Like Upton Park, you know this patch of land, these walls, these bricks have witnessed history. Mm. And as soon as you go most to most of it bad, most of it bad. <laughs> yeah. but it just imbues it with that greater sense of some, something that belongs yes. there, an identity. And then suddenly, if you're in some new, some new concrete, and especially one of these stadiums, which almost looks identical, as you say, and, and there, was, there was a period between about like 2005, 2014, where all these stadiums were almost the same. Yes, well, at least Spurs, to be fair. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That and once they've once they've you know they've taken the you know the shiny corners of yeah. a bit rusty and whatever, and it, it's got a bit of something you know. And there's a few memories built in there. That'll be great because yeah. you know you look at that stadium. That's Tottenham's ground. Yeah. Does this point out to the the wider issue, probably even the widest issue of which way this is football going at the highest level? You've got bigger clubs 
they could flex their financial yeah. muscle. You know, the Premier League are now talking about maybe even doing streaming, so that would inevitably make the top six even richer. We've got Premier League Two being talked about again. It's a, it's a bit of a, a mess and a muddle, but where is it going, do you think, the game? Well, uh, we're, we've actually got a big piece on this in the end on Wednesday, and it's, and it's a big issue. I'm, it'll be but, great. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose there's, there's loads of issues wrapped up into this because, obviously, financial disparity in football has got so much bigger in the past few years. Even, even with all the money going into the Premier League, the financial gap in the Premier League has actually grown. I mean, there's some stat, like, if you look at 92, 93, the wage gap between 1st and 20th was 1 to 2.7, and now that's grown to 1 to... I think it's 4.8 now. And obviously, the issue is the big clubs... So the gap's twice yeah, as big yeah. as it was. And the big clubs, like, maybe with Spurs just outside, and despite being kind of inflated by Champions League money in the last season, there's about nine, ten clubs in the world, five in England, I'd say, who are they were not just football clubs, they're global brands, which means they can just maximise all their commercial income in a way no one else can. And it does feel like this is pushes to a bit of a tipping point in the game where I know people have talked about Super Leagues for 30 years and never quite happened but it does feel we're just kind of at the edge of that now they're always pushing for that bit more if you actually look at results and there's never been a greater amount of wins by three plus goals by the top clubs they win a higher percentage of all their matches that's despite some of the fluctuations of this season like United being and Arsenal being so bad but like in the wider trends this is the way it's going. Yeah, that's also this is this is an exception this year because if you yeah. take Liverpool out of the equation, it's been a fantastic league. Yeah, yeah. Because everybody's just bashing everybody. Yeah, up, aren't yeah. They? But yeah, you can see, it, it's like a, a steamroller, isn't yeah. it? That, that it doesn't matter what you think, what you say as an individual. Th this movement is happening. Yeah, yeah. It started with this and suggestion the of the 39th yeah, yeah. game, yeah. which was shot down, but then it surfaced again, and then other things start to surface. They get shot down, they test the water, and then it's kind of it slowly, slowly yeah. becomes reality. Like VAR became become reality, and it's kind of feel like it's being tested, but it, it's not going to go away. Yeah. It may get slightly modified, yeah. and it doesn't matter what the what the punters say about we don't like it. It's taking it, yeah. It's, there's an inevitable kind of sea change going on. And this calendar debate is crucial. I mean, it's ongoing in UEFA now, how they're going to decide what the football calendar looks like after 2024. But even centrally with all this Liverpool debate, now with City and the West Ham game postponed, because the ultimate issue here is that the big clubs want to be freshest for the most lucrative matches, which is essentially why the debate about whether the League Cup or even the FA Cup should exist is now is at, mm. is at the forefront. Mm. Because it's mm. just... A, which is, uh, particularly the FA Cup, I absolutely adore it. And I... I it's, I think I'd probably have to give up watching football if the if the FA Cup was was abandoned. Uh, yeah. it's, um, mm. the, the, and I love the way it's structured now across the weekends. Though I love the Friday games, the Saturday, Sunday, because you can just drink it all in. Mm. Well, football is a game for the many, not the few. A tough sell these days, but it has to be done. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.